I'd like to talk to you this morning about something that is plaguing our culture. I'd like to talk to you this morning about something that is plaguing the Christian church. I'd like to talk to you this morning about something that I think if we were honest is probably plaguing many of us in this room. I'd like to talk to you this morning about something that for some of you, it may feel completely like it's overwhelming you. I want to talk to you this morning about anxiety. And I want you to hear right from the very beginning that the answer to your anxiety is Jesus. And I say that to you not to sound trite. I say that not to offer you some kind of Sunday school answer to the most significant problems of your life. I say that because I believe that it's absolutely true. And I say that because I am convinced, perhaps now more than ever before, that many Christians have forgotten how true that is. I should know I was one of them. The date was April 1st, uh, 2018, not quite a year ago, but almost. In fact, it was Easter weekend, and as a church, um, our church back in Brantford was uh, coming to the end of uh, a very busy Easter weekend, much like I'm sure your church was here. And just as one of our services was about to begin on Easter Sunday morning, I knew that what I was feeling inside was not right. Um, I had knots in my stomach, felt like I couldn't think straight. My emotions were all over the place. I wasn't sure if I had the physical strength or the emotional strength or even the spiritual strength to preach again. And before I knew it, I found myself sitting at the back of our worship center in the gym where we meet, and I was sitting in a chair just there by myself. People were walking past trying to find their places in the worship center. The service was literally minutes away from starting, and I'm sitting at the back leaning forward in my chair. My elbows are on my knees. My head is in my hands, and I'm sitting there silently wondering why I am overcome by this fear that I cannot explain. If you've ever been in a situation like that, you know the things that start to flood your mind. Have I done something wrong? Is there a sin that I need to confess? Is there something physically wrong with me? Is there a spiritual component that's going on right now that, that I don't see or I don't understand? And then what do I do with the guilt that I feel for the way that I feel even though I don't really know what I feel right now? Like if you were to walk past me that Sunday morning as I'm sitting at the back of our worship center just leaning forward in my chair, and if you were to ask me, are you okay? I probably would have said to you, no, I'm not okay. If you had followed up on that question by asking me, well, what's wrong? I probably, in all honesty, would have said to you, I have no idea. All I knew was that in that moment... At that time, what I was feeling was not right. It was not normal, and something needed to give. And I can stand before you this morning and testify that only by the grace of God, he gave me everything that I needed that day to do what he had put before me to do on that weekend. I mean, that was Easter weekend. Like, this should be one of the most joyful times for me. It's one of the most joyful times for us as a church. And, and I'm sitting at the back of the auditorium wondering, like, what's going on here? Like, why do I feel this way? By God's grace, he gave me everything that I needed. A lot of things happened after that particular weekend. One of them was that I went to see my family doctor, and I told him what I was going through, what I was feeling, and that it had been going on for quite a while. And, and he looked back at me, and he said, it sounds a lot like you're starting to show the physical symptoms of anxiety. 
which totally confused me because up to that point in my life, I didn't really think I had that much to be anxious about. And yet here I am now sitting in my doctor's office. He's looking at me, telling me, you're showing the physical symptoms of, of anxiety. And now I've got something to be anxious about, right? Like now I'm actually anxious because he's telling me I'm anxious and I don't really know what to do with that. And so I left the doctor's office, and, and one other thing that happened as a result of this experience was that this drove me then into God's Word. And it drove me into God's Word to try and find out, what does God say about anxiety? And what does God say about how anxiety happens in our lives? And what does God say particularly about how God is the one who gets us through anxiety within our lives? Because the Bible is pretty open about the reality of anxiety and fear in a broken and sinful world. For example, Psalm 34, verse 4, up on the screen for you, it says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. All of my fears. All of the things that make me so afraid. Psalm 55, 22. Cast your anxieties on the Lord. And he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. Psalm 56, 3. Psalmist says, when I am afraid, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. The Bible speaks very openly about anxiety, fear, worry. In fact, the Bible speaks of those things more than 300 times. And when the Bible talks about being anxious, it means to be troubled with cares. It comes from an old word that, that means to be strangled with concerns. Anxiety means to be pulled in different directions. Think of it a little bit like a tug of war. Remember playing tug-of-war when you were a kid? Maybe you played at family reunions or at picnics now, and, and it's when you pick up the rope and both sides pull on the rope. And, and just imagine for a minute that on one end of the rope are all of your hopes. And on the other end of the rope are all of your fears. And when both sides are pulling on the rope, the middle of that rope becomes extremely tight. All the tension is in the middle of the rope because all of your hopes want you all the way on their side. And yet, at the very same time, all of your fears want you all the way on their side. And when we're anxious, it's like our life is being lived right in the middle of that rope. Everything is tight, everything is tense, because the cares and concerns of our lives are pulling our hearts in a different direction from where God wants us to go. And the question for us is simply this, how do I stop living like I'm in the middle of the rope? Apostle Paul gives us the answer to that question in Philippians chapter 4. Let's look at the text together. Philippians 4, starting at verse 4. Paul writes this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The outline today uh, for today's message is super simple. It's just three words. Because... Part of what I've been learning is that the reality is when you feel anxious and you feel like your life is just crumbling in around you, what you do not need in that moment is some giant roadmap that's crazy complicated that's trying to explain to you how you get from where you are to where you need to be. 
Instead, what you need is something more basic, like a GPS that's just going to tell you where to turn next. Like you're in the middle of anxiety, you're in the middle of a situation that you feel you can't control, you don't know where it's going to go. What you need in that moment is just tell me where to turn now. That's what I need. And, and really, that's what the Christians in Philippi needed. They were being persecuted because of their commitment to Jesus Christ. In fact, flip back a page in your Bible. Philippians 1 verse 28, Paul's encouraging them to remain strong in their faith and to live in a manner that's worthy of Christ. Paul says to them, Philippians 1 verse 28, and not be frightened in anything by your opponents. So we see right there, they're being opposed by other people. He goes on, he says, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had, and now hear that I still have. So these Christians are suffering. They have, they're being opposed. They're being persecuted because of their faith in Christ. They have reasons galore to be anxious at this point. But if that's not enough, the guy who's writing this letter to them is writing it from prison. The dude has his own issues, right? He's got his own reasons to be anxious. And at the heart of what he says to us in our passage in chapter 4, he says, do not be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Now, I don't know what you think when you hear that. When I read that, I, I step back for a second and I'm like, what? Like, don't be anxious about Anything? Like, do you know my life? And I have to guess, in a crowd this size, there's got to be some of us who are thinking the exact same thing. But there's some of us maybe in the room right now, and you came to church this morning, you've got this like low-level, low-grade anxiety in your life, and, and it's not that things are completely terrible and, and haven't totally fallen off the table yet, but it's not great either. And you're trying to pinpoint exactly what it is that's causing so much anxiety, so much worry, so much fear within your life. And, and it's like this constant hum that's always in the background of your life. You're trying to figure out what exactly is it. And yet at the same time, there's others of you who walked into this room this morning and you're like, hang on, man, you don't know my life. Like, how can you stand up there and tell me not to be anxious about anything? You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know the knot that is in my stomach right now as we're talking about this. You don't know the sleepless nights and the tired days. You don't know the decisions and the choices that we have had to make that impact us not only now, but they're going to impact our future as well. But we have no idea what that's going to look like. You don't know what our life is like right now. So how am I not supposed to be anxious about anything when this is everything to us right now. When anxiety attacks, God has made a way to a peace-filled life. Three words. Here's the first. Rejoice. Rejoice. Now, I know there's probably some of you sitting here right now and, and you're like, Okay, time out. Uh, it's one thing for you to stand up there and say, do not be anxious about anything, but again, you don't know my life, so how can you follow that up then by saying something like rejoice? Well, follow along with me, would you? Follow along with me through God's word. Look again at verse 4. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. That word rejoice means to be glad. 
It means to feel true joy. And this is one of the primary themes that makes its way through the book of Philippians. And and we're like, okay, Paul, that's great. But still, how do I do that? How am I supposed to rejoice when it feels like I can't get out from under the pile? And the answer comes in what Paul says next. Look again, verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. The reason that you and I can feel true joy and be glad in a situation that we don't understand is because our joy is in our Savior and not in our circumstance. And isn't this where so many of us get thrown off the track like almost right away? We're like, we feel this anxiety, we feel this worry bubbling up within our lives and we start thinking to ourselves, man, if only I had better grades, if only I had nicer friends, if only I had a bigger house, if only I had a newer car, if only I had more money, if only my mother-in-law was more absent. I don't know, it could be anything, right? Pretty sure I just heard a few amens from over there. Okay, it could be anything though, right? Like sometimes we live our lives like real joy and happiness depends completely on how things go for us instead of depending completely on the one who lives in us. See, there has to be a way for for you and I to step back from the chaos within our life that is causing us to be so anxious and we need to realize who the Lord is to us. We rejoice in the Lord We rejoice in the reality that we belong to Jesus Christ. We rejoice in the reality that Jesus Christ has saved me from my sins. Jesus Christ has given me new life in himself. Jesus Christ has power over what I'm going through. And so no matter what I'm going through, there's nothing that will ever be able to take that away. There's nothing that will ever make that change. That's what we find our joy in, not in the rolling waves of our circumstance. So, just think for a minute. On a scale of 1 to 10, how divided is your heart right now by the worries of your life? Just on a scale of 1 to 10. See, anxiety is one of those emotions. It's one of those things that reveals to us what's really important to us. And that's not always a bad thing. But part of what makes anxiety sinful is that it reveals that we don't completely trust God's promises or his ability to provide for us. It exposes this deficiency within our hearts that I think my circumstance is so big and I'm not sure that God is big enough for this. Which is why we need to understand that rejoicing in the Lord is an inside job. It's a matter of our hearts. True joy will not come with a changed circumstance. True joy comes with a changed heart. It'll come with a heart that rejoices not just in the provision. It comes with a heart that rejoices in the provider, which I think is why Paul says next, rejoice in the Lord always. Always. I did some extensive study on that word always. You'll be happy to know that it still means always. In other words, what he's saying here is that this has to be a way of life for us. Like this, this is who we are. This is what we do, that no matter what the circumstance may be, rejoice in the Lord always. And why is that so important? It's important because rejoicing in the Lord in the good times in your life prepares you to rejoice in the Lord in the hard times in your life. Listen, friends, if Christ is not your treasure in the beauty then he most certainly will not be your treasure in the ashes. So, this is so significant to Paul that he goes on in verse 4 and he actually says this again. 
he says it again, I will say, rejoice. Now, why does he say this twice in the same verse? Well, consider what's, what's usually the first thing that you and I do when things go sideways and it creates this anxious feeling within us. It, it could be different for many of us across the room. For some, we dig in and we try and fix it ourselves. For others, we complain that it's not going the way that we think it should. For others, we get bitter and angry that the whole thing fell apart. For others, we medicate our anxiety with drugs or alcohol or food or TV or pornography. For others, we just give up altogether. Like we just throw in the towel, I'm done, I'm out of here, I'm tapping out, this is too much. I'm just going to sweep this whole thing under the rug, pretend it never happened, we're just going to move on. Nobody's going to talk about this. But the Bible says that, that that should not be the response of the Christian life. The response of the Christian life is to rejoice in the Lord always because we have a greater hope in Christ than what our circumstance is preaching to us. And if anybody could write about this, it was the Apostle Paul. He knew what it was to rejoice always. Look at this passage up on the screen, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. These are situations that could have and should have caused great anxiety for Paul. Follow along with what it says, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 4. Paul says, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. And then he begins this list. He says, by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. Down to verse 8, he says, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as imposters and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed. Here it is, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Why, Paul? I mean, why can you rejoice in circumstances like that? And why can we rejoice in difficult circumstances in our lives? We can rejoice because our joy is not in the circumstance. Our joy is in the Lord. Our joy is not in a circumstance that keeps changing day in and day out, over and over and over again. Our joy is in the Lord who never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. See, nobody's saying here that you have to walk around with a smile on your face and, that, and keep telling everybody that everything's going to be okay and, and that's just the way it is. Nobody's saying that you have to do that when your life is hard. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Because our joy is in the Lord. Friends, if you're going to have a peace-filled life, you need to see where joy comes from. You're counting on a better outcome to give you joy. What are you going to do when the outcome changes? And then it changes again. And then it changes again. And then it changes again. And it changes again. And it never seems to go the way that you want it to go. That's a futile way to live. That's why we rejoice in the Lord. But then, something really interesting happens when you do that. Look at what Paul says next in verse 5. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That word reasonable there is translated in a number of different ways. Some translations say, let your gentleness be evident to all. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. In fact, um, it's the same word that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 1. 
up on the screen for you where uh, Paul is speaking of Christ. He says, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. So when Paul says reasonable here, he's talking about gentleness. And the idea underneath that word has a couple of layers. One is that you're willing to show grace toward the faults of other people. But the other layer is that you're willing to patiently endure mistreatment that you might experience because of your commitment to Christ. See, one of the ways that you know that your trust is in the Lord, even when you're living under the dark cloud of anxiety, is gentleness. What makes this so beautiful is that this is not a gentleness that you can manufacture by yourself. This is not something you can pull the strings together and and make the puppet move. It's not something you can do under your own strength. Instead, this gentleness when people mistreat you, this gentleness when your job is suddenly gone and you don't know what to do, this gentleness when you've been told that a disease is quickly taking control of your body, this gentleness is not just another thing that you do. This truly is the overflow of a heart that is not just waiting for a better circumstance. It's the overflow of a heart that is waiting for the Lord of that circumstance, which is actually what walks us right into the next thing that Paul says at the end of verse 5. Next instruction, notice what Paul says at the end of verse 5. He says, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. When anxiety attacks, God has made a way to the peace-filled life. First of all, he says rejoice, and then second, he says request. Request. Paul says, the end of verse 5, he says, the Lord is at hand. So not only is Paul reminding them that Christ is coming again soon, but he's reminding them that the Lord is here right now. The Lord is here right now. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is here right now. And what's the result of truly believing that the Lord is with you right now? Like what's the result of you believing right here, right now? Or even when you go to work tomorrow, you go to school tomorrow, you go wherever it is that God takes you, you go back into that situation that's causing you so much anxiety and so much worry. What's the result of believing that the Lord is with you in that moment? Verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. This word anxious in verse 6, as we've already said, it refers to the cares and concerns of life. It's the picture of our hearts being pulled in different directions. But more specifically, the word means to have an ongoing worry. It means to have the kind of anxiety that we're constantly holding on to and we're never letting go of. So, So understand that Paul's not saying here, don't ever be worried. He's not saying here, don't ever be afraid. Instead, he's saying, don't let that worry or fear dominate your life so that your heart is distracted from believing the promises of God. Look at what he says here. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Like, anything covers everything, right? He says, don't be anxious about anything. Jesus said the very same thing in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said, don't be anxious about your life. Don't be anxious about what you will eat or drink or what you will wear. In fact, Jesus actually says, do you really think that your anxiety is going to make your life longer or better? Of course, the answer is no. Jesus teaches us that, that the reality is that God loves you so much. He 
loves you so much that he's going to take care of every single need that you have. And so the priority of your heart is to seek him first. The priority of your heart can be to seek his righteousness, believing then that he's going to give you everything that you need. Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 5. He says, cast all of your anxieties on God. Cast all of them, every single one of them. Cast all of your anxieties on God because he cares for you. And now Paul here says the very same thing. Do not be anxious about anything, but, but my health is going downhill and I can't live the life that I used to live. What am I going to do? Do not be anxious about anything. But my business is failing and I've poured so much into this. What am I going to do? Do not be anxious about anything. But I've got people in my family who aren't even talking to each other and it's getting worse by the day. What am I going to do? Do not be anxious about anything. But I have this decision that we need to make and and I don't know what to do and it's going to impact us now. It's going to impact us later. I don't really know. What what am I going to do? Do not be anxious about anything. Now, we work hard, right? And, and we get the help that we need, right? And we trust that the Lord is going to work through those things that he brings across our path. He's going to work through those people that come into our lives to help us when we need it. We, we trust in the Lord for that. But the Bible is saying here that the way to handle anxiety is not by getting more control. It's by giving up control. And Paul tells us here exactly how we give up control. Look at verse 6. It says, do not be anxious about anything, here it is, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Oh man, I love this. I love this because this is not simply telling us to pray when we're anxious. This is actually telling us how to pray when we're anxious. And he uses four words, he uses four phrases here to tell us how to pray when anxiety is gripping our heart. First of all, notice here, he says in everything, like in absolutely everything, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the situation you're going through, in everything. And then he says, number one, by prayer. So just pray. Just call out to God. Just cry out to him. Even right now in this moment, just cry out to the Lord. But there's a layer of this word that includes adoration. It includes worship. And so we need to understand that this is worship-based prayer. So even before we lay all of our needs before God, we begin by worshiping him for who he is. So start your prayer with something like, God, I worship you because you are sovereign over the circumstance that I'm going through and nothing at all will stop your will from being accomplished in this circumstance right now. So it's worship-based. But then he says this, number two, and supplication. That means telling God what you need with, with a sense of great urgency. So in times of anxiety, our our prayers are worship-based and urgency-driven. That word supplication is the same word that's used in Luke 5, verse 12, where a leper comes before Jesus, and, and Luke says that the leper falls down before Jesus and begs Jesus to make him clean. That begging, that's supplication. It's like a no-holds-barred. God, this is my problem. God, this is how I feel. God, I don't know what to do. God, the only way this is going to change is if you fix it. Just crying out to God with a sense of urgency. So our prayer is worship-based. It's urgency-driven. And then this, number three, with thanksgiving. So our prayers must also be joy-filled. 
just like expressing gratitude to God for all of his blessings within our lives. Taking time in, in the moment of that anxiety to rejoice in the Lord. God, I thank you so much that you have saved me. I thank you so much that you have rescued me and that you love me and that you're with me and you will never leave me and you will never forsake me. Listen, genuine gratitude is an anxiety assassin. Our prayers must be worship-based, urgency-driven, joy-filled. And then he says this at the end of verse 6. Let your requests be made known to God. That means to, to plead for something. So we plead with God to meet our needs. God, I believe that you've allowed what I'm going through. God, I believe that you control what I'm going through. God, I believe that you'll be glorified in what I'm going through. God, I believe that you love me perfectly, so I give this whole thing to you, and I pray, God, that you will give me what I need in this moment. Notice what he's saying here. Anxious about nothing. Pray about everything. Anxious about nothing. Pray about everything. Anxious about what? Nothing. Pray about what? Everything. Listen, when anxiety attacks, God has made a way to the peace-filled life. Rejoice, request, then see what God does. Verse 7. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here's word number three. Rest. Rest. Notice this. When we pray, God provides peace. It's not a superficial peace. It's not a surface level peace. He gives real peace and we rest in that peace. It is the peace of God. Peace here is a term that indicates not just the absence of anxiety or difficulty, it indicates the presence of God's blessing. It carries the idea that something that had once been torn apart has now been brought back together by God. Remember at the beginning, what makes us anxious is our hearts are being torn apart. Our hearts are going in different directions. And now the peace of God comes. And that heart that had been torn apart in different directions is now brought back together by the peace of God. Peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. In other words, there is no logical explanation for why you have peace when you should not have peace. Nobody can explain it because it surpasses all understanding. Surpasses is a word of power. It indicates something so big and so amazing that it cannot be contained. Like, Just think about this. The power of God that parted the sea. The power of God that calmed the storm. The power of God that emptied a grave is the power that gives you peace when you should not have it. That's amazing. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Notice this. The peace of God will guard you. Like, underline that little word in your Bible because it is so important. The peace of God will guard you. The peace of God does the guarding of your heart and your mind. Notice, not the peace of God might guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. 
Not, you should really hope that the peace of God guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. No, the peace of God will, it will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Now, why the heart and the mind? Because these two things form the core of who we are. Think about it. What, what we feel about things and how we think about things often sets the course for the things that we actually do. And ongoing anxiety in our life is always the result of a wrong feeling about God in our hearts and a wrong thinking about God in our minds. In fact, look ahead to verse 8. Paul tells us how we are supposed to think in moments of anxiety. Verse 8, he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. (laughs) He's teaching us how to think in the moments of our anxiety. See, when we are saved, we should be thinking about new things. When we're saved, we should be thinking about old things in new ways because what we fill our minds with plays a huge role in overcoming our anxiety. That word guard in verse 7 is a military term that was used uh, to talk about strategies that would prevent hostile invasion uh, from the enemy. Realize that the enemy wants to use your anxiety to get you to doubt what you know to be true about who you are in Christ Jesus. So the Bible says here that the strategy for overcoming anxiety is to think rightly, it's to feel rightly, not only about the circumstance that we're going through, but about who God is to us in the midst of that circumstance. See, friends, this is why it is so massively important for us to understand rightly who we are in Jesus Christ. It's why we need to understand our identity in Jesus Christ because anxiety and worry and fear will tempt us to think and feel the wrong ways about who we really are. Listen, you are not defined by your anxiety. Hear that? You are not defined by your worry. You are not defined by your fear. You are not defined by your failure. If you have confessed your sins to God, if you have believed in Jesus Christ, if you have repented and turned away from your sins and trusted in the full and complete work of Jesus Christ on the cross and in his resurrection on your behalf, then you are defined by him. You are defined by his finished work on the cross. You are defined by the reality that he has died in your place and for your sins. He has risen again for your victory. You are a child of God, and that is what defines you. Now, I don't want you to miss this. Notice notice this one little word at the start of verse 7. The word and. Now, might seem a little bit insignificant at first, but that little word is telling us that if you will do verse 6, then God will do verse 7. That if you will pray, then God will give peace. So just step back with me for a second here and, and just think for a minute how astounding this is. 
Because we walked into this passage a few minutes ago in verse 4, thinking about all of the things that are making us anxious. And some of you walked into this room this morning, and on that scale of 1 to 10, you're, you're maybe like a 1 or a 2. You've got that low-grade anxiety, right? And, and nothing too big, but you're trying to figure some things out. And, and others of you, you're like a 4, 5, maybe 6 out of 10 on that scale. You've got some things you're trying to figure out. Others of you, you're like a 9 or a 10. Some of you are here right now, and you're like, come on, man, don't be shy. I'm like a 12 or 13 out of 10 right now. I've got so many things going on in my life life. And notice this, when we walk, we walk into this passage with all of our cares and concerns and worries, and now the Bible tells us we can walk out of this passage with the peace of God that passes all understanding. We walk into this passage, all of our cares, all of our concerns, we walk into the passage with a heart divided, but we can walk out of the passage now with a heart devoted. Do you see that? Why? Because we move from fear to faith. Move to believing that the promises of God are true. I love how Isaiah says it. He says, Isaiah 26, verse 3, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. John Patton was a missionary compelled by God to go to a dangerous island in the South Pacific to share the good news of Christ. Almost 20 years before Patton arrived on the New Hebrides Islands, the London Missionary Society had sent two other missionaries to go before him, both of whom were killed and eaten by cannibals within minutes of arriving. A few years later, they sent another missionary team that was driven off the island within seven months. After these horrible experiences and in preparing to go himself, Patton was told by numerous people that he was crazy to even think about going to a place where others had died so quickly for the very thing that Patton wanted to do and give his life for. But no matter the criticism, Patton had his heart set on taking the gospel to the New Hebrides people. And so in November of 1858, Patton arrived on the island with his wife and his newborn son. Within four months, both Patton's wife and son had died of the fever. Patton dug both of their graves by himself with his bare hands and he buried them on the island. What felt like an extraordinary loneliness, Patton continued the work on the island for another four years under the threat of constant danger and often seeing the supernatural protection of God upon him. In fact, Patton recalled one incident before he left the island. He writes this, he says, once when islanders in large numbers were assembled at my house, a man furiously rushed on me with his axe, but a chief snatched a spade with which I had been working and dexterously defended me from instant death. How did Patton deal with the kind of opposition from people that he cared so deeply about? Listen to how he concludes the story. He says, life in such circumstances led me to cling very near to the Lord Jesus. I knew not for one brief hour when or how attack might be made. And yet, with my trembling hand clasped in the hand once nailed to Calvary, and now swaying the scepter of the universe, calmness and peace and resignation abode in my soul. Perfect peace. Final word today goes to two groups of people. First, to those of us in the room right now who are saved in Jesus Christ. What's the one thing that you're carrying with you right now that is causing you to be anxious? What's that one thing? Family crisis, job loss, prodigal child, 
future you can't control, a present you don't understand, a dream that has died, your health that has made it so that you can't do the things that you once were able to do. Listen, Christian, the God of the universe is inviting you and me right now to rejoice in him, to request from him, and to rest upon him. You will just take these things in your life that are pulling your heart in different directions and bring those things to him in prayer. His promise is to give you peace in your heart even when there's chaos all around you. Look to Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. and The things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. O oh soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. Listen, friend, Jesus carried our greatest burden to the cross. And because he did that for us, he is worthy to be trusted with all of the smaller burdens that we try to carry for ourselves. Second word to the second group, to those of you this morning who are here and you do not believe in Jesus. I want you to know so much. I want you to know that this peace that we have been talking about today is only for those who know God through faith in Jesus Christ why Paul says that this peace guards our heart and our mind in Christ Jesus. Listen, you will not have the peace of God until you have peace with God. And to have peace with God means that you humble yourself before God and you admit to him, God, I acknowledge that you are holy and I am sinful. God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross in my place and for my sins and rose again for my victory and I surrender the entirety of my life to him. Like right here, right now, you can have peace with God if you will just call out to him right now. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior and Lord, then we invite you to trust in him today. You can do that right where you are. Listen, friend, please, please don't miss how significant this is. What we've been talking about today, this is not just tips and tricks and ideas about how to make a bad situation better. This is about how to be made right with the God who made you. In whatever circumstance that you have going on in your life right now that is robbing you of peace absolutely pales in comparison to the reality that you need to be at peace with God. Jesus carried your greatest burden of your sin to the cross in your place. And so we invite you today, turn to him, trust in him. Only when you have peace with God, you rejoice in him and request from him and rest upon him and know that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Father, thank you for your grace upon us. Thank you for your word to us. God, you have been gracious to speak to us through the power of your word. Thank you for that. 
Lord, I pray specifically right now for those in the room who maybe are um, a little bit higher on the scale of 1 to 10 and are struggling so deeply with things that hurt so much and, and cause so much confusion and so much dismay and so much perplexity within our lives. God, I pray that you would be gracious and meet us where we are. Lord, that you would truly change our hearts. Lord, that we would rejoice not just in the provision of a better circumstance, but that we would truly rejoice in the one who provides for everything that we need. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters across this room right now. That no matter what the circumstance may be and no matter how much longer you have sovereignly determined for them to be in it, would find them in a place of humility, find them in a place of surrender before you that would bring them to the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ, calling out to you for the peace that passes all understanding, believing that that peace of God, it will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, help us to live for your glory in the midst of circumstances that we don't understand, I pray, for the sake of your name.